Hello, world. This is Brian. I'm joined with Paul. You are listening to That'll Preach podcast, where we talk about all kinds of things. And uh, today we're going to talk about some, uh, we're actually going to start a series on Christianese. We're going to talk about some Christian phrases and terms that we all sort of pretend like we know what we're talking about. And really, secretly, we don't. Or they're just overplayed and cliche and we just want to make fun of them like the irreverent people that we are. Isn't that right, Paul? Man, we're really going to ruffle some feathers. There's no well, you know what? part here. I'm just going to go for it. Well, people are going to say that you guys are just doing this for clickbait. And I would just say to those people, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Someone sp- sponsor us, Unashamed. Babylon B. Someone sponsor us. But uh, no, I, I think we can have a little bit of, little bit of fun with this without being too salty. A little bit of... Uh, satire but i you know i think everybody jokes about christianese and i and i say it out of a deep appreciation and saying like sometimes people are they scoff so much at christian subculture as if they're so much cooler you know so i hope that we can uh we are play so have, have some fun while recognizing that you and i are both quite lame and we are not feeling ourselves above the fray but rather we're just observing things that you and I have said probably many times and uh and uh but you know christian christianese christianity all the fun quirks that come along with that you can have a little fun with that and uh, i thought a to kick this all off we could talk about uh passion the word passion i think this is a word that is thrown around a lot in christian subculture there's even a conference named passion And uh, we, everyone wants to have passionate, radical Christianity. We, you know, you think about like a a new church plan. It's like, we are Imago Dei church and we are passionate about disciple making to reach the renewal of the city for the Imago Dei or something like that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, it's a sort of this marketing term. Because nobody wants to go to, you know, hey, we're First Baptist Church and we're just uh, normal. <laughs> we're not passionate. We're just, you know, regular. <laughs> we have jobs and kids and, you know, <laughs> we don't have enough energy to be passionate. So if you want to just come to regular church, you know, that's what we are. It just doesn't really have the same ring to it. But there is sort of this, uh, you know, and it's always geared towards young people. Have you ever noticed that? I was just going to say everything that you were describing, First Baptist, First Presbyterian, that sounds super appealing and attractive to me. And I'm not sure what that says exactly. You You know why? Because you have no passion, Paul. That's right. You're one of those fuddy-duddy, you know, you you don't, you probably, you probably don't even sway in worship, do you? No, but I, every time If you don't sway in worship, did it even really happen? Did you even really worship? I, like, what's funny is like, when you see the swaying happen in church, it starts off like totally random, but then it ends up synchronizing. <laughs> like if you that's right. It's people, like a whole church of synchronized swimmers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. People are doing like acrobatics suddenly or something like that. That's right. But um, no, I think that's it. I think the 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 use of the word passion or being passionate, passionate about disciple making, passionate about evangelism, passionate about worship, all these things is tied to a sort of obsession with youth culture. There's actually a really good book on this called The Juvenilization of American Christianity. And it talks about how post-World War II, people were trying to kind of fight the counterculture, you know, of the sexual revolution and, and churches were realizing they were losing the youth. 
And uh, the creation of the automobile, the car, really gave an independence that was unprecedented. And there were all these radical cultural changes. And so churches were trying to kind of fill the ranks again and appeal to younger culture. And so the idea of the youth group showed up. And then what happened was the youth group culture became the main church culture. So you had all these kids growing up in youth group. And then when they go to church, they want something to be like that. They're sort of discipled into that. Mm. And so the main church started to adopt similar kind of theatrics and gimmicks. And um, I think passion is tied to that, where if you want young people to be a part of something, they want to be passionate. They want, they want to feel like they're part of something bigger. They want to, they have all this energy. They want to drive themselves towards something. And that's not a bad thing. And I'm not saying that passion is bad. I'm saying I'm, I'm talking about it in terms of the way that it's marketed. It's, it's a marketing term for churches. If you have five churches, they're solid evangelical churches, gospel preaching. How are they going to differentiate themselves from each other? How are they going to make sure that you come to their church and not others? Well, we're the passionate church, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, it's, a, it's a way to, it's, it's a sort of an American kind of way to uh, brand a church as alive and uh, spontaneous and anti everything you grew up in church with, you know, um, and it's kind of, it's, it can be kind of cynical where you think, well, gosh, it's everything marketing and you know, marketing isn't bad in of itself. You got to let people know what you're about. But uh, I, I find that passion is is really branded towards, you know, the millennial generation and under. And I think you can kind of burn people out. Passion kind of works for a couple years. And then you're just kind of like, I'm tired. You know, you think about people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they've raised kids, their kids out of the home. They've worked, a long, you know, long hours. And they're like, man, I don't want a passionate church. I just need a regular church, a normal church, because I'm tired, um, but do it you, is an interesting you, cultural phenomenon. Do you think by by passion, uh, people mean energetic or zealous or like is is that what people are trying to capture? Like a youthful spirit? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, so passion you could think passion just a, a deep motivation to do something, which which could be good. But often it could be just simply an emotive kind of excitement, right. which, is, which, you know, and I don't even know what the, like the etymology of passion is, you know, if, if passion, I mean, I think about like in the, in the old, in the new Testament, they talk about the passions of the flesh and, and I don't know if passion's always a good thing. Do you know if well, in we, the we, philosophical tradition, we talk passions, about passion week as the week of the, the, you know, Jesus going up to Jerusalem and the crucifixion. <laughs> That's right. I'm not criticizing Jesus for that. <laughs> Please don't take it that way. Yeah. But, I, I, uh, wonder, I wonder if, if our use of the word passion, and I, I think you're right that we, we end up using it to mean just sort of like, I'm very excited to do this thing. I'm passionate about missions. I'm passionate about right. discipleship. And um, it ends up becoming like a catch-all term so that if we're passionate about everything, then we're passionate about nothing. Yeah, it's because like highlighting it's like it's, every it's meaning meaningless. Yeah. It's like highlighting every line on a page. Exactly. You might as well not have highlighted it all. And if you talk about the passion of Christ, I mean, what does that mean historically? I mean, it, to me, it sounds like the devotion of Christ or or the absolute sort of faithfulness of Christ. I think um, it, I think it's related to like compassion. The self-giving. Yeah, the yeah. self-giving of Christ. Okay, so compassion, that's a good way to that's a good way to put it. So it's 
It's Passion Week because it's it's Christ's compassion. Is that is that where? It, look it up. I feel like Joe Rogan. Look I, it up, Jamie. Look it up. So according to Google, it comes from the Latin "pati," which means to suffer, which came to the late Latin. Are you sure, it's not pad thai. Pad thai, uh, which <laughs> pad thai means suffering. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's like, you know, I mean, maybe later. Anyway, um, it, it, it comes from it comes from what? It comes from Latin, which means to suffer. So actually passion, which makes sense, like when we use it in the context of Passion sure, Week, sure. but when we use it in our English sense, um, yeah. I have a passion for this, doesn't actually carry That's over a good well. Point. So we're a passionate church. We're a suffering church. We're passionate about community. We will suffer for community. It kind of takes another tone there. And I guess in a sense, you should be passionate about, in that sense, you should, you should be willing to sacrifice for the sake of community, or you should be willing to sacrifice for the sake of missions or evangelism or worship. Uh, but that's really what we mean. We, we mean more of a, a modern way of just, we want it to be exciting worship. And, and oftentimes when, when they say passion, they mean the worship is really exciting and the preaching is really dynamic, you know, <laughs> charismatic, dynamic speaker. And um, now are those things bad? I don't think so. I mean, certainly the correction wouldn't be to be passionless, quote unquote, and be as boring as possible or have the music be just terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there is something to being aware of, are we falling into sort of a, a, a branding type of thing? Like, why are you saying passionate so much? Mm -hmm. you yeah, know? I think, yeah. There's also like the worry that you end up substituting substance for style and right. you can, you can, uh, you can dress something up so that it delivers on all of the it's got, it ticks all the passion boxes. It ticks all the branding boxes, but it's not actually delivering anything meaningful. And, and when you think about like what, what a church service is supposed to do in terms of like corporate worship, forming the individual, um, orienting the mind, orienting the heart. And you like, you trade out on all of those like serious formative aspects for something more like loose and ephemeral and just like a felt need that we have to meet via like passion. And it's just like, it's a really poor trade-off. And like, here I get, get on my soapbox and talk about like the beauty of liturgy and like the beauty of like actually forming people in a service, which is my like old curmudgeon -y old man coming out from the You just side. don't like fun. You're just You're right. like a really <laughs> lame person. Don't, don't hide that with theology. What are you talking but about? I'm like the most I'm just kidding, person. Paul. You're, you are, you're just a ball of fun. Yeah, I do think cool. there is something to say about we, we 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 have this narrative in our mind that great change happens in these sort of eureka passion moments where mm. you know you're rock bottom then you decide this is the moment you know or you know falling in love this moment of passion and you realize that's you know and in reality it's it's much more normal than that i mean a lot of change in life happens incrementally over time a lot of formation happens in that way too it's not I mean, a, like a, a great speech could inspire you, but how many great speeches have we all heard or great sermons right. and we just stay the same? I mean, it, it, it can do a little bit of help, but a lot of the change is more gradual and normal. And I think sometimes the obsession with passion, being passionate feeds into that mentality of like, all you need to, if like you're struggling with sin, we need to be more passionate about God. Like how, and, and really that translates to you need to, feel more feelings about God. Yeah, and that gross. will crowd out sin in your life. It's just not true. 
Now, if you mean passion in terms of passion of the Christ, it means a devotion to God, a sacrificing for God. That's a little different. But if you mean just sort of the excitement or just, you know, people will say, well, I felt God in a worship service. And maybe you did. Um, but that's not the primary mark of God's activity in your life. The primary mark is fruit, yeah. right? The primary mark is 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 a transformation of your character and, and, and new desires and motivations. It's not really how emotive or even lack of emotion you have um, in, in worship. And sometimes people can even be proud of having no emotion in worship. Yeah. So you don't want to make the, you know, you know, if you, if being emotive can be sort of a, a way of branding yourself a certain way in a narcissistic way, then, then acting emotionless can also be a way of branding. You know, it's kind of like the church with like a terrible bulletin. It's got a horrible font. And they're just like, well, we don't want to brand ourselves. Like, well, you just did. You brand yourself as a church that doesn't want to brand themselves. You know, so in some respect, you can't avoid it. And I'm not trying to swing the pendulum all the way to the other end. But I do think it speaks to a larger undercurrent of evangelicalism that wants quick fixes, that, that wants these, you got to keep butts in the seat. You got to get people into the church kind of thing. And you got to give them a show, you know, and you've got to make them feel something because then they'll come back and it feels kind of contrived. And I think it's not sustainable. That's the biggest thing. It's not sustainable in the long run. And it doesn't really cause, you know, sustainable change, I would say. I think that the things that change us again are much more organic and you use ordinary so and regular buzzwords right there you said sustainable well i was trying to be authentic and i was trying to be authentic yeah that's right you've got a passion what else am i going to say i know no i I mean i think you're exactly right and there's also this like this tendency to look inwards and um not just like we all know that like it's bad to focus on yourself or the worship that's self-centered and you know we've all heard those criticisms but any sort of like any sort of approach to Christianity that says I need to feel a certain way, or I need to make sure that I have this passion or this zeal or whatever is just like, it's so misguided because the emphasis is you're looking inwardly, you're looking at yourself. And I'm just thinking of like all the, all the times where we read Lewis talking about that, the inward turn that is like malicious and selfish. And anytime you like, you're worried even about your own passion levels or you're worried about your own levels of zeal. Like that's just, that's not good. That's not virtuous. Like you're worried about yourself. Like you're worried that you're not feeling or looking a specific way when your your eyes should be like focused outside of yourself on things that actually matter, like people in your community. And so it's just, it's just another way to distract ourselves from what we have to be doing. And there's a flip, there's a flip side. Again, it, you could be quote unquote, you know, the frozen chosen and, and, you know, worship doesn't do anything for you at all. And it's not really because of reverence or not wanting to be overcome by your emotions. It's sometimes it's fear of man. You don't want to look stupid, you know? And so you don't want to hide that as if it's a virtual, uh, virtuous thing. Because I look, I, you know, we're, we're sort of being tug in cheek. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with people being excited in worship or, or even with the music being lively. Okay. Why, why is that? Why is it wrong to be no, excited I'm, in worship? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you say with a monotone voice, but <laughs> I think um, yeah, we're not saying that. Okay, so no hate mail, you know. I'm, but I, I think it's more so zooming out and being like, is there is there 
too much of a marketing push where something genuine, a genuine excitement, a genuine sense of emotion that comes out in worship, is that, is that now being branded and made something that's um, almost a little disingenuous? Instead of the experience being a byproduct, it ends up being the thing, the end in of itself. So if you're focusing on God, if you're in church and, you know, it, you're, you're filled up and you just want to move and worship and all that, that's great. But you don't want to make that the end goal where, where you attach that with like, it wasn't worship unless that happened. Or mm. I'm not really caring about my lost friends if I'm not passionate about evangelizing. Or I'm not really a genuine Christian if I don't have this upswell of emotion whenever I serve people or whenever I preach or whenever I lead a Bible study or even when I have a quiet time. I'm not being passionate. Like when 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 you start when the gauge for your spiritual life becomes emotions, I think that's where it gets dicey. And when the gauge of whether a church is faithful or good is based upon the emotions it evokes, that's where I think it can get dangerous. Um, but not the actual expression of emotion itself. I think that's a great thing. And I think that, that should be encouraged. It's just that in our context, it's, it's more of a marketing, marketing deal. I think I want to go further and say that the Do actual being moved by emotion might actually be somewhat, not, not like vicious or a product of vice, but maybe something close to it. Like, I'm, how so hear me out. Like, um, if you're the kind you're of making person, me emotional right now, talking about this, I know I'm you're kidding. like, you're, you're, you're the beacon of stoicism. <laughs> you're never led astray by your emotions. That's right. Um, I have no. Go for it. So imagine, imagine somebody who is primarily moved to worship and serve because of how it makes them feel like that. That's what I'm conceiving of. If that's, mm. if, if what's moving you to do things that you should be doing is mere like emotional inclination, then like there's a worry that you're not doing things for the right reasons. And I think that that happens to us more often than we want to acknowledge, right? Um, I was just talking to a student the other day who was like, yeah, no, like the reason I like went on the March for Life was, you know, because there was a cute girl that I wanted to like hang out with. And I'm like, that's great that you acknowledge that bad motivation. Um, and so like we have those like weird emotional pulls and inclinations all the time in our lives. And that's, that's not a good thing. So like doing the right thing for like a emotional reason is probably not healthy, right? Well, you, are you saying doing it for an emotional reason at all or merely for the emotional? I mean, if, if it's part. primarily moved by emotion. Right. Like if, if you're saying like, if you're the kind of person who sacrifices for your spouse primarily because like an emotion moves you, like you're just like naturally um, sympathetic or you want to feel good or whatever, like you're not doing it because you care about them. Right. Like that, that's, that's but the emotion motivation. could come from a, the, the emotion could map onto a genuine care. So couldn't it? I think in, in that case, like, I think what you're describing is a case where someone actually cares and they do it delightfully because they care about the other person. Right. I think that that's good. That's so in worship, you could delight. genuinely want to worship God and do it delightfully yes. it, with joy and emotion and expression. But it's just I, that which I think one... there's a difference between like you can do something joyfully or out of delight 
even though it's not motivated by emotion, right? Like you're, you're not okay. doing it because you feel a certain way and you're not doing it because you know, you will feel a certain way. That's, mm-hmm. that's the issue. Like if, if God told you, you weren't going to feel this way at the end of the worship service and you were never going to feel it again, like, could you still go through with it? Um, that's true. If it's like, if you're like, well, I don't like this worship band, this worship music isn't doing it for me. Right. But it's yeah. like, well, but, but that's not why you were there. And you know, that it's not primarily for how it makes you feel. Right. It's just fitting that you worship God. It's kind of like when people are like, you know, you should help the poor. It'll make you feel better. Like <laughs> it makes you feel great. And it's like, well, what if it no, didn't, it would you not help the poor? You know, something like that. Yeah. And but I don't know if I would go. It doesn't make you feel better. But you're not saying that you're just saying that the emotion as the sole motivation is not good. Or it even should the be primary a bi- motivation. Like you, it should, you should just, do- it should be a byproduct of a more virtuous desire. Sure. I think, I think that's fine. Yeah. I think you should, we should aim to do things because we care about the things that we're doing, like, because we see them as worthy of pursuit. Like we, we see corporate worship as worthy in and of itself. Like, I know this is the body of Christ that God has gathered around me and, and I worship with them and that's good in and of itself. And if, if I feel something, then that's great as like a side effect, but I don't want to do it because I feel inclined to, or because I know I'll feel a certain way. Could a lack of emotion though, be a sign of something being wrong. So using your be. cup, using your marriage analogy, a guy could serve his wife selflessly, but he never feels anything. Could that be an indicator, unless you were, I don't know, a sociopath or something like that, but, but couldn't that be an indicator that there was something, the fact that the emotions aren't, that, that are there emotions that are, that are appropriately attached to actions? And if they're not there, is there something going on that's negative? There, there could be. So like, if you keep investing in your relationship and your marriage and you find that there's just no affection then there there might be something wrong there and, and it could be it could be biochemical it could be there's something else in the relationship going on that's wonky but yeah i think god designed us so that we will let our emotions will grow in specific ways uh when we so invest in certain activities yeah in that sense so if you invest yourself in worship your emotion and worship should grow but we Is should right we shouldn't do it because of the emotion right sure we shouldn't yeah. do it because of the emotion but if but the there's a lack of, the emotion of emotion fine but what if there's an what if there is a lack of emotion? Could that be a lack of genuine devotion? Could that could that actually work it the could, other way? It could indicate it, but it doesn't have to be. Like I think I think sure. you can imagine someone who uh, just because of their personality, like they're just kind of gruff or whatever, they're grizzled, they're a I don't know war veteran. They've seen some stuff, and the way they worship is, you know, they truly grasp the amazingness of the gospel, and they recognize how small they are and they they're really reverential, but they don't manifest that in any sort of recognizable emotional behavior. And I think that that's, I don't, I'm, I don't know if I'd say that there's anything lacking in that. It might meet, it might not meet the standard definition of a passionate individual, but like, I think that's okay. It's also hard to know when you're feeling those things. I mean, there's, you know, we talked about that article on how we're terrible at introspection yeah. That it is hard. You're like, am I happy in this moment? Am I reverential? Am I sad? Am I, it's actually not so easy to think about. And so that's another reason why passions are unreliable because you're like, I don't even know if I'm feeling happy in this moment. And maybe we just need to, with, with emotions, it's just like, let them happen if they happen, but don't force them and, and don't feel like you failed if you haven't. 
But I think if, you know, I mean, I think there are times when I don't have any emotional response because I'm not paying attention, you know, because, or I'm, you know, I'm genuinely not focused. And maybe if I was, I would have more of an emotional reaction when it comes to worship, you know? So I don't know. I think there might be a little more to it than we're saying, but maybe I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just suspicious of any sort of like emotions at all. I know. I know. (laughs) That's true, but that's not where I was going. Um, I'm skeptical of any, just like, like focusing in on myself to try to figure out what I'm feeling. Like you said, like introspection is highly unreliable. We are very bad at knowing when we're sad or happy or reverential or not. And so like, I think like just even that inward gaze is misplaced and we should always just be like looking outside of ourselves and caring about the things that matter. Like recognizing you, this is corporate worship and like enjoying right. that for what it is rather than like trying to go, okay, am I feeling the right things while I'm doing this? Like, that's just, that's the, that's, that's the wrong strategy to worship well. Sure. And I think we're, there's another question of when you are being reverential, you're, you can't be devoid of emotion. You're not ever feeling nothing. Um, you know, you might be in a neutral, <clears throat> I don't know. I think like, we're, yeah, go ahead. Is, I mean, what about even reverence? Is that not a feeling that you can have at times or even a sense of a solemn sense of uh, sacredness? I mean, that that's also something that has some kind of emotional tinge to it. I think reverence is recognition of your place. Uh, but that has no emotional to affect tied to it. I, I mean, if you were can, to. But it doesn't have to. Well, I mean, I, I, would, I would imagine if you were to see, you know, I mean, they always use yeah, like the Grand Canyon. You could acknowledge that you're small, but there's also when you go there, there's this emotional sense of your smallness too that makes that abstract idea more concrete. It, it's actually a felt experience. Um, you think about even the aesthetics of churches with vaulted ceilings. I mean, they're meant to evoke a kind of, I would say, emotion in you. Um, it's not merely just the idea that you are small, but it's meant to affect you on a kind of a visceral level. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. So maybe we're speaking past each other. <clears throat> and and part of it is like emotion is really difficult to define, but right. you're right that like we are embodied. And so when we see the Grand Canyon, there's a response that's triggered in us. And I would, I would call that response like recognition of grandness or, but like it might not, be accompanied by a specific feeling. I might not even be able to locate a feeling in myself. I might just go like, this is incredible. This is insane. Look at how tiny I am. Like, this is just, yeah, like that's true. Or, or maybe, right? maybe we can make it a little more specific. You wouldn't necessarily, because we got to go back to what we were originally talking about, passion. We're not just talking about yeah. emotion in general. We're talking about a particular kind of emotion of like heightened excitement or, or, or sort of a euphoric emotional surge. That, that's what we're really talking about. Um, because I think it, it's not as much like people aren't really marketing grief or feeling lament, right? They're, they're talking about a very specific kind of action that's tied to spirituality. So, and there are times when I'm sure you could see something beautiful and you know that's amazing, but you're not feeling that upswell of, of awe and wonder. And that doesn't make it any less amazing. It's just that you didn't... F- you know, have that emotional reaction. And I think people have different temperaments too. I think this can unfairly privilege extroverted people who are normally emotive 
And, and the funny thing is a lot of those kinds of people end up being the worship leaders or they end up being the, the preachers or the Christian celebrities and people are more introverted or more, um, less, have less emotional expression. Mm. Um, they're, they're maybe viewed as less spiritual or they're not the ones that people want to be the leader of their catalytic movement to renew the city. You know what I'm saying? So again, I think it, it goes back to that idea of attaching spirituality to a specific form of emotion, which would be that heightened excitement, that euphoric swelling up of emotion that people go, that is when you're at your highest reverence, your highest devotion to God. That might not be true, especially if you're doing that. And then you go live a life of sin the rest of the week. I mean, it, right. where, where yeah. was the real, it's sort of like a guy making these romantic gestures, uh, is it gestures or gestures, gestures. or whatever? <laughs> gestures. You know, gestures is actually a game I played as a kid where it was like charades. Anyway, it's a whole other thing. Wait, but seriously? Yeah. It's wow. like charades, but yeah. yeah. I thought you anyway, it's a safe face. <laughs> maybe. Does it make you feel something? Anyway, gestures. Uh, a, a guy doing all these romantic acts and he feels romantic, but the rest of the week he's a terrible husband. It's sort of like that. That just, there's something artificial about that. And uh, again, if you feel that excitement as a genuine byproduct of focusing on God, then that's great. But I think what you're saying is don't make that one the end goal or don't, don't make that the reason that you do it. I worship God so I can get this feeling. And two, when you get that feeling, be careful equating that with genuine devotion or spirituality or even closeness to God. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that can be now. Can it be that? Of course it can, but I just don't think we should make that the metric. But I do want to ask you: uh-huh. What do you think about the great Pied Piper, John Piper, the Evangelical Pope, John Piper the the second, right? Pope, pope John Piper. I'm pope going to get John canceled Piper. for this. Pope JP saying that. Uh, yeah, I know. Exa- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> pope Jordan Peterson, maybe. <laughs> no. um, I'm definitely getting canceled for that. Yeah, you are. But when Piper says, uh, you know, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And, and he uses passion language a lot. And God being our delight and our maximum joy. And um, it seems to be he's talking about an emotion, that there should be an emotional response to God that's appropriate to him. So so why is I he wrong? I don't think that there's anything wrong <laughs> with I just try to trap delight. You. No, I know. Right. That's because that's your M.O. That's I think right. that there's I think there's something wrong with pursuing pleasure for its own sake. Or like, oh my gosh, this is a whole other topic. It is. Yeah, okay. But it's like this is my like big issue with Piper's Christian hedonism. Like he says we pursue God because it is the most pleasant thing. Like we don't like it's not in sex, it's not in food, it's not in relationships. Like we've actually misdiagnosed what gives us the most pleasure. Actually, it's God. And I'm just like that's insane. <laughs> like, that's just not, that's not the reason why we pursue God. It's not because God is the most pleasurable experience or the most ex- pleasurable relationship. And even if it were like, you don't pursue God because it's pleasurable. You pursue God because God is God. And if pleasure comes along with that, that's great. But like the what reason if it's why supposed pursue, to come along with that, what fine. if it's supposed to come along with that? But you, and you, and, it, and it, it shouldn't be motivated by like, I shouldn't do it because I want the pleasure. That's where I like take issue with what Piper sure. said. Sure. Because then that would be the, the self-centered part. 
Yeah, that'd be right. like the person who does worship because it makes them feel a certain way. Like, but I think to be charitable about because, Piper, yeah, you should ahead. pursue because what? We should pursue. We should pursue things because they're worthwhile in and of themselves, and God designed them so that they would also bring us pleasure. But we shouldn't switch it and pursue the good thing because of the pleasure it gives us. You're, right? you're, that, you're, that you're talking more about backwards. motivations. Right, you're talking more about motivations. Yeah, I'm right. So, about like so the two people why we do things. Yeah, two people could have the same joyful reaction, but one of them could be motivated selfishly, worshiping God for this emotional release. Another one could have the same emotional release, but do it properly. They have everything right. ordered correctly. They're they're exactly. worshiping God, and as a result, yes, they feel that joy. Mm-hmm. They they have an emotional response. But but then again, could could it flip the other way? If you don't, if Joy is the appropriate emotional response to God, but not the reason that you worship God. Then could a lack of joy be an inappropriate response to God? Uh, it's possible. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. I mean, like that. Yeah. If a father sees his kids and he's not joyful to see them, I mean, he's not always going to be joyful. But I would certainly think again, a, a complete lack of joy in his life would probably show he, you know, there might be some kind of, you know mental thing he can't help or there's, there's something wrong. And so I, I wouldn't punt emotion. And I don't think you are because emotions are part of our bodies. They're part of our physical being, their physical phenomena that we experience in our lives. And God made them that way. He created our emotions. And so there's gotta be a fine line between pursuing things just for the emotional experience and attaching that emotional experience to spirituality without any kind of pause or consideration and shutting down emotions as if they're bad when they are part of who we are as a created right. creature. And again, I think we're, we're talking about uh, passion as a marketing term too, not passion as in passion of the Christ or willing to suffer or have great devotion towards something. I think we are called to that. So if you're calling, if you're calling that passion of Christianity, then by all means, absolutely. But if we're talking about passion again, just for that, emotional release i think that's that can be a very shallow way of looking at it and we have to be careful with that and again it's like well what do you mean when you say you want to be passionate do you mean that you want to suffer greatly and and (laughs) devote yourself to this cause or does it mean you have a boring life and you just want your life to count you want to feel something you know great i mean you you know it's kind of like uh the, the classic um what do they call them? Vacationaries, like missionaries who are like people oh, like man. going on quote unquote yeah. mission trips, but they're just, it, it's more for their Instagram feed and showing them with some African kids and smiling. And, and yeah. it, it has nothing to do with actually helping people. It's, it's more, Oh, this experience that I got. And I, Oh man, I got to experience God. And, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's something strange about that. I know. You know, I mean, maybe that could be a whole other podcast episode, yeah. not knocking Short-term missions. Although, Paul, you don't like them. We can make that another. We, we, we can talk about that. Yeah. We can talk about that as another <laughs> podcast. But, you know, again, I mean, n- do not email us saying we hate people expressing themselves in worship. Not true. And uh, nor are we anti-motion. Yeah. Just saying that the word passion has been co-opted, I think, in a way that can be unhelpful in Christian culture and maybe feed in a little bit to the consumeristic mindset where church Absolutely. is for you church church is where you go to make yourself feel better about whatever church mm-hmm. is where you go to get this emotional release and it becomes 
just this sort of, you know, um, station or good uh, uh, store of goods for you to get your spiritual fill rather than the place where you come to worship God, regardless of how you feel. And oftentimes with that continued devotion, emotions will grow. Um, but if they don't, there could be a myriad of reasons for that. Um, but that's not the primary reason. It's, it's to worship God because he's worth it and to be there with the saints that you're bound together with by the Holy Spirit and to love them and serve them. And you could even say that if you do something when you're not passionate about it, that shows a greater devotion, doesn't it? Right? When you, when you change the diapers of your kids, when you're not passionate about being a parent, when you love your spouse and forgive them, when you're not passionate about who they are in that moment, because you're fighting against your feelings to do what is right, because you love them and you love them enough not to be led by your passions. And John Piper, if you're listening to this, we still love you. We just please support slightly. our podcast, John Piper. We love you. Sign our books. I mean, sign your books for us. No, we do love Piper. And I, I would say this. I mean, Piper wrote a book on depression called When the Darkness Will Not Lift. It's a great book. It is a great and in book. And in it, he acknowledges uh, that he's not expecting Christians to be happy, clappy all the time. In fact, I think he would reject that outright. Uh, so I think in a lot of ways, Christian hedonism, as Piper explains it, probably it is it probably isn't that problematic. It's more so how even Piper's use of passion or joy or delight has been only viewed through kind of a superficial emotional lens when I think he might mean something a little more holistic than that. So I think Piper is wise enough, certainly smart enough to not equate everything with an emotional feeling. He actually wrote this, um, I think it was a hypothetical letter or something like that. It, it was basically to this girl who she admitted to like, I think she was like sleeping with her boyfriend, but she was going to worship, you know, go to churches and felt this great feeling of intimacy with God. Then she broke up with the boyfriend because he realized it was sinful. And then she feels like God isn't near anymore and all this stuff. And Piper is kind of savage. He's like, you know, that closeness to God you felt before, that was an illusion. That was just emotions, right? What you feel now with an actual repentant life and feeling the real weight of the world and the ups and downs of normal Christianity, that actually might be more of authentic, real Christianity. There's my buzzword, authentic than what happened before. I thought that was very telling. And I think you get beaten up enough in the world, you go through enough trials and you realize, man, I, I don't think I should feel exuberant passion all the time for God. I think more it's just a quiet, consistent, really deeply rooted joy, a deeply rooted contentment and satisfaction that doesn't always erupt as an emotional outburst. So you're saying the more miserable we feel, the more holy we are. And we That's should exactly. strive to find That's exactly. misery in our lives. That's exactly. That's why and I God is most glorified. <laughs> I know. God is most glorified in us when we are the most miserable person possible. That's what it is. But uh, anyway, hopefully. Just kidding. I, oh, shots <laughs> fired. My goodness. I'm kidding. I love Presbyterians. Presbyterians, if you're listening to this, we love you too. Yeah. Well, this uh, podcast stirred up any emotions in you. We'd love to hear about it. So you can follow us at That'll Preach Podcast on Instagram. Leave a comment. Please leave a comment and a review about this podcast as well. And we'd love to hear some feedback from you. And uh, we'll be back next week with some more content. 